You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Can we just stand up on our feet this morning? Can we just praise and worship God for another year?
Hey Kensington, welcome to church. I'm Andrea Gibbs, the internship director here with my friend Nat Bergeron. She's an intern with guest services at Clinton Township. What's up Kensington? So happy to be with you all watching online and in person. We're already in the third week in the last Arrow series and we are praying that God will speak directly to your hearts today. Absolutely. Today is all about that tendency to allow our past successes or shame define or limit our future. Oh yes, we've all been there. But God calls us to follow him in a new future regardless of our past. Hey, speaking of a new future, you think we have any future interns watching today, Nat? Oh, absolutely. I remember just a few short months ago when I was considering the internship program, and my friend Faith told me about how surrendering to God and his nudge completely transformed her life in 10 months. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's how it all starts, responding on that nudge and stepping into the next adventure of education, equipment, and empowerment. That's what happens in our Total Immersion 10-month internship. Both part-time and full-time internships offer leadership development, a hands-on approach to day-to-day -day operations, classroom instruction, and mentorship from staff. Natalie, other than the wonderful internship director that you get to work with. What's been the most valuable part of this experience for you so far? Yeah, I would say the most valuable thing is how the Lord has really taken my passions for reaching our community and showed me creative and unique ways to actually live out those dreams and my passions. Our program is ideal for young adults like Nat, career changers, and those preparing for ministry. Applications just opened up, so you can read more and apply today at kensingtonchurch.org interns. And if the internship program isn't for you, we have plenty of other opportunities for you to jump into community here at Kensington. Courses and groups with both virtual and in-person offerings kick off this month. Explore your faith in Alpha, learn how to manage your money through Financial Peace University, get curious about the Bible and Bible basics, or strengthen your marriage in the marriage course. The best part about these groups is meeting new people and finding a community of people who are on the same faith journey. We truly believe that change happens in community. You can join a small group that meets virtually or in person. Just head to the website and filter through the options available. There's a group for everyone. Head to kensingtonchurch.org groups to learn more. All right, Andrea, I think it's time to get back to the rest of service. Today, we're looking back at the life and legacy of a courageous hero who inspired millions of people to right a historical wrong. Well, hey, good morning, Troy Campus. How are we doing this morning? Oh, whoa, hey, hello. I wasn't expecting that first try. That's awesome. You guys are awake. Hey, I'm Thaddeus. Welcome this morning. If you are on stream, we are so happy that you are joining us as well. Hey, I just want to highlight a couple things going on in this month. In a couple weeks, we are celebrating baptisms here at Kensington. Baptisms are a huge part of what we do here, and we love to celebrate them. So on January 23rd, we have an off-site baptism event that is going to be happening. You can sign up online. And then later in the month on the 31st, we're going to be celebrating some of those stories. So if you want more information or if you want to register, you can go to kensingtonchurch.org slash baptisms. Uh, here at Kensington, I am our breakaway director, which means I get to hang out on a weekly basis with our middle school students. And I want to let you know of an important event happening this Thursday. We have Thursday night party going down. Now, when I say party, I mean party because we are going to have chicken nuggets. You know, you every good party needs chicken nuggets. We are going to have mini golf, also essential for a good party. But we're also going to have a mechanical bowl. 
not as excited about that as I thought you were going to be. But anyways, if you're a middle school student, we would love to have you come and hang out with us this Thursday and also the following Thursdays as we continue to meet on a weekly basis. It's easy for you to come hang out. Just go to kensingtonchurch.org slash student registration and sign up under the Troy campus with middle school. It's a one-time registration and then you just check in each week. Well, hey, we're going to go into a part of our service because uh, tomorrow we are celebrating a very important day, Martin Luther King Day. And Martin Luther King was an incredible leader, incredible influence, um, and just great impact on this nation and around the world. And so we're going to go into a part of our service where we're going to be honoring his legacy. So why don't you take this in? tent oh and just like the river I've been running ever since it's been a long a long time coming but I know the change gonna come oh yes Carry on. 
Martin Luther King dedicated his life to love and to justice between fellow human beings. He died in the cause of that effort. In this difficult day, in this difficult time for the United States, it's perhaps well to ask what kind of a nation we are and what direction we want to move in. When you come to the point that you look in the face of every man and see deep down within him what religion calls the image of God, you begin to love him in spite of. No matter what he does, you see God's image there.
state and every city. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Every time I see that, I'm deeply moved by what his dream means for our entire nation, especially in a time like this. That last clip was taken from a speech that I believe all of us think of the moment we hear the name Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. King gave this speech in August of 1963 on the footsteps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. It is a speech that will continue to go down in history as one of the most iconic moments in our nation. Throughout this entire speech, King continued to repeat the phrase, I have a dream. And it is because of that dream and its profound ability to speak a vision, a vision of hope, into our very broken world that I believe he was able to transform the heart of this nation. It was a dream that he was willing to lay down his life for. And tragically, he did. But when I look around our world right now and I see how divided we are and how much peace that we lack, it makes me wonder if things could be different I wonder if things could be different if just a few more of us had dreams. Dreams not just for ourselves, but dreams for all of humanity. Even dreams we'd be willing to lay down our life for. And as we get ready to celebrate the life of this great pillar and leader in our nation, we can't help but realize that sadly, he was assassinated before he was able to see the full fruition of his dream come to be. But the fact that I, a black man, and many other people of color who are here today were able to even walk through that front door alongside our white brothers and sisters is only because of the dream of Dr. King and of brave advocates for justice like him and folks like my grandfather, John Holland Sr., who in 1960, along with some other students from Tennessee State University, organized a string of sit-ins across Nashville in efforts to integrate the segregated lunch counters of the South. I believe we all have some of these kind of dreams. Dreams that we can have and we can hope for, for all of humanity. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you. And I thank you that you reign. Lord, I thank you that you are in control. God, I am so grateful for this moment. I'm grateful for the life that Dr. King lived. And Lord, we just pray that you have your way today and that you move as you see fit. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for the hope we have through Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, like I mentioned, my grandfather, he is here with me today. And I would like to invite him out at this time to come and share just a little bit of his story with us. Would you welcome my grandfather as he comes? Might take him a second. Thanks, Andrew. You know, um, I grew up listening to uh, stories from my family. And uh, my mother would tell me and my grandmother and my grandfather would tell me about uh, his, his ability to step into hard things. Sometimes it was about uh, your temper. <laughs> and sometimes it was about just your ability uh, to step into moments where God was calling you to something bigger. And so I remember as a kid being amazed when I was sitting in my ninth grade high school classroom and we're watching this video uh, where Peter Jennings is talking about times in our nation. And all of a sudden, I'm ready to doze off and fall asleep like everybody in history class. And I look up and I see my grandfather on the screen. And it was actually this picture uh, right here. And I, uh, in, in, in seeing that picture, I began to say, that's my, that's my grandfather. And I went and I told my professor, this is my grandfather. And of course, nobody believed me whatsoever. <laughs> so then I, I asked him for the VHS tape and, and, and I took it and, and my mom was doing something. And I said, is this my grandfather? And she acting like she didn't really, you know, wasn't moved by it. I was like, yeah, that's him. And I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me that this is my grandfather organizing in the city? And so I wanted to just bring you forward because we've had so many conversations and I've learned so much from you about that time period in our nation. But uh, can you just tell me a little bit about what it was like, what the process was like to go in and uh, prepare for the Sidians? First of all, I'm grateful, and I feel quite honored to be given the opportunity to tell part of my story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was about a week I was away in college. It went on for about a week when we were told about trying to integrate the lunch counters there in Nashville. It started out over 200 of us about four or five carloads. And it ended up, we got the word that Dr. Martin Luther King would be speaking at Fish University. So many people wanted to go. I said, I must go to meet him. They all backed out. And I ended up hitchhiking. I put my 
cadet Air Force uniform on and hitchhiked down the fist. And I got a chance, they let me in because I was in, they recognized me as in the city of movement, so one of the original ones that I was able to get in. In meeting him, I may be one of the first ones, original one that started to sit in in Nashville. I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Martin Luther King. He was brought in to introduce him to me. We were about as far as you to that. He acknowledged, acknowledged me, and just as we were getting ready to shake hands, Security came in and swept him away, had to take him away. That is close as I got to him. The next time he was speaking at this, and I had the opportunity to, to go and hear him. Starting out, it was about a week. I was on scholarship, seven days a week. My grades went down, and you have to maintain a certain average, but they take the scholarship away from you. Every day I went to meetings, you know, we had organized what we were going to do to go to the state capitol and at March for the city, and so that was a, a part of it. I had the opportunity to do that. When word got out, and Child forced or the, you know, sort of, I became a spokesperson, and that's how they started interviewing me. My people, my parents did not approve of me because they knew how I came up. I knew segregation was, was wrong from a little something. They had a hard time shutting me up. But I knew that it wasn't right even before that. Day. So that was a big thing for them, and they did not like me being there because if you, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King taught us, if you fight back, it's nonviolent. They knew that I couldn't be in a nonviolent protest march because the way I caught up it, I preached that it was wrong for the way we were brought up anyway, and I couldn't wait to grow up and go away to school and move north where it wouldn't mean no segregation. Hmm. And, and, uh, but I was wrong. <laughs> I didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Now, why, why, did you, why did you feel like you needed to, to be in the sit-ins? Like, what, what, what pushed you to do that? Because uh, I really didn't think I was going to live to get 40 because I wanted to make it better for young, not only people of color, I wanted to make it better for them, where if you travel south, wanted to get a stop in a restaurant, wanted to get a hamburger or something, you wouldn't have to go in the back door. I did not like going in the back door where there's boxes and things all over it to order something, food. So that's how I got into the food movement. And ordering something, we had to go into the back doors We'd be there two and three hours. I could see white would come in and order their food, sit down, eat it, and go out, and I still was waiting. I witnessed if I ordered fish and chips or chicken, 
they would take the food off of where the white had come in and left on the plate. I was right at the kitchen. If it was three-piece dinner, they would take one of those pieces from the plate and put it on the mine. How many times did I get one of those? So to this day, if I order a dinner, chicken dinner, and one of the pieces, if it's three pieces, is look kind of not good, I think about those days. Yeah. Now, when you were actually in the restaurant and you sat down at that lunch counter, was there, was there ever a moment where you thought maybe you could not be nonviolent? Wherever you, where you almost lost your cool? I almost lost it twice. Yeah. I think it was, uh, was it Cunningham, a five and dime? We was given instruction when we march, you can't fight back. You have to sit there and take it. I didn't know what I could do it. And sitting on the stool, this particular one, one of the memorable moments, one of the students from Michigan, which was white, she was sitting next to me. She had long hair. I could see from the side of my eyes. The policeman at the door was letting militant white come in. Only he let the militant one. One lady could hardly walk. She had a pocket full of candy. She started throwing it at us, cussing us, calling us names, the N-word. She almost fell, and I couldn't help to hold back to laughing and come into on the stool while sitting there, the white student from Michigan sitting next to me, female. One came over, started cutting. It took me several years to be able to tell part of my story. I still get emotional when I talk about it. So if I pause, it took me a long time to even tell part of my story. I never told my parents everything. It took me a long time to tell them. And that's only a couple of people I've told the whole story. Yeah. Uh, they started cutting off her hair. One was behind her. They had ketchup, mustard. <clears throat> Squared it all in her hair. They knocked her off the stool. That time they hit me in my back. Could you imagine sitting down eating, trying to get a, 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 some food, and you have racists coming in behind you? When we went in, I'll back, retract it. We went in, I think about 10 of us in groups and marching. 
they had a person, spokesperson, go in and check and find out where we were to go sit in, start the sit-in movement. This particular day, he was there when he knocked her off the stool, kicked her, they hit me in my head. I saw her on the floor, I couldn't hardly, she started screaming, we were to be quiet. I almost lost it then. Yeah. I did everything I could to, uh, to hold back. I was reminded, if you fight back, the movement is over with. Well, I, I really appreciate you, Granddaddy, for sharing your story with us. And thank you for advocating for young people like me to have an opportunity to even come and do this with you. Love you. Thank Love you. you a lot. Thank you. You all give him a hand. I can't help but be moved every time I hear him tell that story. And when I, when I think about what we are, the world we're able to live in now is because of many people sacrificing like him and some that are not even with us today. You know, at this time, before we move on, I'd, I'd like to, uh, us to take our offering. Uh, and it's been amazing as this past year, it's been tough for all of us, but for some of us, it's been even tougher. But the generosity in our community has been just profound and amazing. Just the fact that we can continue to be on mission, especially in a time like now together, fighting to reach the one. And I am so grateful to be on this mission with all of you. If you are new today and you're with us or joining us for the first time, this may not be your moment or it might be. But if this is your community, you call this place home and you are uh, on board with the mission here, then there are various ways you can give. There are tubs at the back, uh, which if you brought it with you, you could drop it into the offering bins there. Or you can give online, you can give on the website, or you can even text 77977 uh, and give there as well. But thank you so much for being on mission with us as we're in this thing together. We're so grateful for your generosity. But I, I remember growing up, I had so many dreams. I had dreams about what I'd be, who I'd become, and uh, where I'd go, and all things like that. But I had some like crazy dreams. I'm, I'm sure a lot of you all did too. One of the more ridiculous ones was that I wanted to become the greatest Bigfoot hunter to ever live. I don't know whether it was because I watched on the History Channel so many of the Finding Bigfoots and they never found him for the dozens of seasons that they've looked, but I was convinced that I would be the one. I would be the guy that would go and find Bigfoot. Now, I don't know why I thought that would happen because I don't even like going anywhere near the woods. But uh, it got to a point where when we take road trips as a family, I would, long road trips, I would like spend a bunch of time researching where the most recent Bigfoot sightings were. 
And I would come to my mom and dad. I had no sense of geography. So we'd be like on the way from Pontiac to Muskegon to go to Michigan Adventures. And I'd say, Mom, if there's a chance, can we stop in Odell, Oregon, if it's on the way, so that I can go and, and find uh, Bigfoot? Uh, as you see, I am here. I did not find Bigfoot. But one of the dreams that I took way too far was wanting to become the next Michael Jordan. So my dad, really into sports, he, I'm sure he hoped that I'd become a great athlete, but God did not have it in my cars to have an athletic bone in my body. Uh, but he was downstairs watching uh, probably the ESPN classics, and they were covering some of the greatest moments that ever happened in NBA history. And they got to 1987 when Michael Jordan dunked from the free throw line and the crowd went wild. I was watching that and I was amazed. And I said, all right, well, if I'm gonna be like Michael Jordan, that's where I gotta start. I gotta dunk from the free throw line. Now, most people start with dribbling or handles, but that didn't register with me. I definitely thought that I had to dunk from the free throw line. So it was summertime. My friend, Rashawn, he lived right around the corner where his grandparents did. And in the summer, like all kids, we'd get together and we'd go outside and play. And as, we'd go, as he came over, as expected the next day, I said to him, I said, Rashawn, I can dunk like Michael Jordan. And I had a basketball hoop in the backyard. And he says, no, you can't. And so I said, well, I just have to be a little creative in how I do it. So without my parents' permission, I opened up the garage, pulled out my dad's stepladder, pulled it up to the basketball hoop, climbed up, and dunked it. And he says, well, it's a little too close for me to think you can dunk like Michael Jordan. Back it up a little bit. So I backed the ladder up. I jumped off of it, dunked like Michael Jordan. I did it a couple times, and I said, I got a little too confident. So I said, this time, I'm going to hang off the rim like I see some of the, some of the other NBA players do it. So I, I climb up the ladder. I jump off of the ladder. I grab onto the basketball hoop, and it clicks that it's probably been a couple of months since my dad last filled the tank with water. And I began to tip back. I reach back to try to grab the ladder. And as I'm reaching back with my foot, I think I got it. I let go. Well, no, me and the ladder come crashing down, and the ladder closes on my ankle, breaks my ankle. My friend Rashawn is standing there, and being the best friend that he was, all he could think to do was run home and scream. <laughs> so I'm laying on the pavement. My mom comes out, house robe and everything, just angry. What in the world did you do, boy? And then she was more upset that I went and got the ladder. Then my ankle is like twisted and messed up and going on. But anyways, that was a dream that I took too far. But I think we all have dreams that sometimes, you know, we will do crazy things to attain. But there's two things that I believe we have. We do have, we have dreams and we have influence. Say, I have dreams. Come on, like you believe it. I have dreams. Say, I have influence. But the amazing thing is, at least in Western culture, I believe a lot of the dreams that we have, they end up coming back to, to go towards things like self-advancement uh, or personal success, which nothing is wrong with personal success at all. I don't think there's anything inherently evil about the honest pursuit of personal success. I believe that every person should have a deep desire to become something. And on this journey to becoming something, something happens with every new step that we take. 
progress. But the question I want to ask is, what are we progressing towards? Will our journey to becoming lead us to a place where we find our success at the cost of others? Or will it lead us to a place of altruism where others find success at the cost of us? When we look at the story in the life of Jesus, one whose life I hope we all desire to mirror, we see that he was all about becoming. So in John 1.14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now understand this, Christ is who he's always been. God never changes. So his becoming was simply just a plan that he had from the beginning of time, a plan that came to save and redeem you and me and put us on a path of restoration so that we can become. My question for us is this, while we are all on this journey of becoming, we all have dreams for our own lives, but what dreams do we have for all of humanity? And are we willing to lay our lives down for them? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. So I'll put it like this. Christ became all things to give up everything so that we could become something. In the same way, we now should become all things to all people, giving up everything so that they too can have the opportunity to become something. I'll say it again. Christ became all things to give up everything so that we could become something. In the same way, we now should become all things to all people, giving up everything so that they too can have an opportunity to become something. I believe that in our becoming, we must live with open eyes, open hearts, and open hands. It's amazing how everything starts with what we see. I had the opportunity along with my wife and our oldest daughter, Carrington, because Cadence wasn't born at the time, along with Josh and Laura Korn, who used to be on staff here, we and their two boys, we had the opportunity to go down to Selma, Selma, Alabama, to commemorate the 53rd anniversary of the March on Selma. Now, if you don't know much about the March on Selma, I'll give you just a little quick backstory. There was a civil rights leader, an activist, uh, who had been wrongly put in jail in Selma. And his church members got together and they decided to assemble and march down to the jailhouse to sing hymns and protest for his release. When they got there, they were met by police. And at some point in the course of the night, somehow the streetlights got blown out. When that happened, the police began to beat the church members. And 
as that happened, the church members scattered. Well, this one elderly lady ended up getting caught by one of the policemen, and the police was beating her with a club. It happened to be the mother of a young 26-year-old man named Jimmy Lee Jackson. Jimmy Lee Jackson, like any great and honorable son, jumped in between the policeman and his mother in efforts to protect her and take the beating for her. Well, he was grabbed by a police officer where, as things ensued, he ended up being shot and killed. This murder ended up sparking a young John Lewis in coming down to Selma to, to organize a march that led to the events that took place on the famous Bloody Sunday, where Alabama State Police met a group of peaceful marchers trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and they were met with all kinds of violence. So then Dr. King called preachers to ascend on Selma, and they organized a march that became successful. But it's, I'm telling you, as we were getting there, no matter how many stories I heard and things that occurred or things I researched and things like that about Selma, nothing prepared me for what I saw when I got there. When we pulled into the area of Selma, I looked around and there were fields with grass growing up. There were dilapidated homes, homes with windows broken out, roofs caving in. Some even had no doors and there were people living in them. There was no store in the area that you could get a convenient item at. So if you didn't have transportation, it, it bothered me as to how people were going to get from one place to another to get the things that they need. As Josh and I began to ask questions once we were there, getting ready to do the march to some of the people, some of the residents of Selma, we said, what are things like here? And we began to realize that this was one of the poorest places in our nation. With minimum wage in Alabama being $7.25 with the average household income for the year being a little bit over $15,000. This was a place that knew struggle. And when I looked, it's amazing how what you see with your eyes can break your heart. It's a place that was riddled with pains from the past and a place that was in dire need of help. But everything starts with seeing with your eyes and engaging with a story. It can start with a simple prayer like, Lord, open my eyes. I had the opportunity on last Monday to go to Flint to capture one of these kinds of stories. I captured the story of a girl named Rashida Coleman. Rashida grew up as my wife's best friend. They went through preschool all the way through high school together. But I think it would be an understatement to say that out of the deck of cards, the hand that she was dealt in life is one that she had very little to work with. You see, Rashida's mother is extremely sick. They don't really know what is wrong with her because she does not have health insurance. And for some reason, she can't really get any help. And so it has left her without a real diagnosis. She hasn't seen a doctor in three years, and it's something related to rheumatoid arthritis and something like MS, but it leaves her in a bed in her room. She has not seen outside in three years. The sun has not touched her face in three years. She has not breathed in fresh air in three years. And Rashida 
is the only person living at home who has the ability to take care of her. She has a brother that lives down south, and he does everything he can do to help her and send money. But in COVID, it's hard to get up here to help. She has a sister that's away at school, but like, like, like her brother with COVID, it's hard for her to get back and help. So the only time Rashida has for herself is around 11 p.m. at night after she's given her mother all of her medicine and she's able to get out. And her life is this constant circle of, of dreams that she will never be able to really attain. She tells me she has dreams of becoming a young entrepreneur. She said she had dreams as a kid of becoming an actress. But these are dreams that seem so far off because of the state of life she's in. But these stories are not unique at all to the inner city. When you go to the inner city, some just less than 10 miles away from where we are right now, there are countless stories of beautiful people who just simply need to be seen. They need their stories to be heard, and they need us to come in and have our hearts break so that we can help. In our world today, most of our time and resources are spent on protecting the things we have. We build savings accounts just in case there's a rainy day. We buy insurance for things that mean the most to us just in case something happens to them. And we even purchase and install alarm systems, elaborate ones, just in case someone breaks into our home. Now, all these things are good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if, like we intentionally pursued and purchased the things that protect us, we pursued opportunities to leverage our resources to protect and serve others? So, uh, protect and serve others does not mattering or not worrying about whether it was their own fault why they were in the situation they're in. Or whether they're lazy should not determine whether they deserve our help. The mistakes they've made should not determine whether they deserve our help. Scripture tells us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am so grateful that Jesus does not bless me and love me based on the things that I've done. 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In order to truly be the church, we must be willing to live with open hands, willing to give up everything. As Christ followers, we are tasked with the job of bringing the kingdom. The kingdom cannot be brought without open-handed people. When I look around the world, some of my dreams, some of the dreams that I have are for these two. Carrington and Cadence, who are a handful right now. Don't get me wrong. They are like Sour Patch Kids. They're sweet, then they're sour. But I tell you that my dreams for these two is that they grow up in a world where they can be a part of a community, where they protect 
and where they serve others with all they've got. A community that will protect and serve and love them as Dr. King, not based on the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That they can grow up in a world confident, knowing who they are, pursuing each and every one of their dreams because God called them to it. Not being held back by the fact that they're black women. That is my dream for them and my dream for so many others of the next generation that are just waiting for us to step together in this time, to come together and unite for a purpose that is greater than any one of us. To live our lives with open eyes, with open and broken hearts for people, and with open hands willing to serve and love and give to those in need unconditionally. That is my dream. Yeah, that's your dream too, baby. I tell you, that's the kind of world I believe that we can create together. I believe it's time to lay down our preferences, lay down the things that we fight so hard for to simply protect us and the things we have, and step into a moment in time where we can live in a way where we love and fight and advocate for each other. The lesser ones, the ones who need us, where we can go and be Jesus in this world together. That is my dream for our community. That is my dream for this world. That is a dream that I think we can all attain. That is a dream I'm willing to give my life for. And I'm waiting for a few more of us to come and join together and say, this is the church we choose to be. We choose to fight and advocate for the things of Jesus. Fight on behalf of the marginalized, the oppressed, giving up all that we have to love and serve our neighbor. That's my dream. You want to go to Auntie Lena? Go to Auntie Lena over there. That is my dream for us. We're about to step into a moment. I'm going to sing a song that was written by actually an artist from Detroit, a gospel artist named Thomas Whitfield. It's a song called, I Shall Wear a Crown. And when I think about the life of Dr. King and the life of so many others that have given their life to dreams that are greater than themselves, I think about this song because they were able to look to an eternal hope. They were able to look towards eternity and say that I know that like Timothy said, like it says in 1 Timothy, that there's a crown of righteousness stored up in heaven for me if I just fight for the gospel. And this song says, I shall wear a crown. Whenever my day is done, I know that when I meet Jesus, I'll see him face to face and I'll have a crown of righteousness that I'll cast and lay at his feet. That is the dream that we're all pressing towards, that we fight for a world and bring moments of heaven down to our broken earth. So as we step into this moment, I just invite you to take this in as we listen to this song. Show where I 
Y'all gonna make us have church in here. <laughs> We're gonna sing one more song together, and I wanna invite you all to stand as we sing this one out. That says, whenever we look back throughout any moment in history, we can see that God's hand has always been there. And the song says, his history can prove that there's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing he can do. So we're going to sing this one out. Let's sing this together. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass.
You know, it's such good news to focus on the fact that he is faithful. He's faithful no matter what season we're in. And as I know the week we're going to enter might feel a little strange. Might feel like we need to cling a little closer to Jesus than we have in the, even in the past year. But Lord, we know that our Lord and our Savior is faithful. And I am so glad that we as a community together can put our faith and our hope in Jesus. Well, as we get ready to leave, I do want to remind you all that groups are kicking off soon. You can get information about that in the lobby. And then some of our discipleship directors have gotten together, and there's a Zoom link online you can find on the website where you can go and learn and hear more information about ways to jump in and ways to plug in with this community, even in a time like this. Groups are so important, so I really invite you all to go and find more information about that. Like I said, we'll be celebrating baptisms on the 31st. We're going to hold the baptisms on the 23rd, so if you feel the nudge of God calling you to jump in and be baptized, you can go online and find more ways to jump into that. Well, you all take care. Enjoy the rest of your week. Praying for you all. Bye. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.